Welcome to the We Are Human Leaders podcast. I'm Alexis Sana, co-director at Human Leaders, and together with my co-host Sally Clark, today we're talking to Megumi Mickey. Today's conversation sheds a new light on what we believe to be underrated and often unsuspecting leadership superpowers. Megumi is an author, speaker, and consultant in leadership, culture and diversity, and inclusion, with a background in strategy, economics, and finance. Megumi challenges the status quo in leadership to unlock hidden talent of the collective potential. She's the author of Start Inspiring, Stop Driving, Unlock Your Team's Potential to Outperform and Grow, and Quietly Powerful, How Your Quiet Nature is Your Hidden Leadership Strength, which received the Australian Career Book Award for 2020 and the Best Leadership Book of 2020. This episode is a real invitation to tap into your unique authenticity as a leader at work and beyond. Welcome. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining us today, Megumi. We're very um, excited to be speaking with you, Sally, and I have both been diving into your work recently. And we'd like to know, can you start by sharing with us a little bit about your story and what brought you to write your book, Quietly Powerful, and how that's kind of got you to the work that you're doing now? Sure. So there's a personal and a professional story to that. So the personal story is that I have always been a quieter person. As a little kid, I was very quiet. Um, the baby of the family, I've got an older sister and my mum and um, dad and my dad's quieter but my mum and my sister aren't that quiet and so often I used to be quite comfortable being the quieter kid and um, I remember my mum used to often talk on my behalf so somebody might ask a question and she'd just answer it and so I felt quite okay with that because it was easy, right, you just sit back and let them talk and I let them uh, go like that. And so, yeah, so I grew up like that. And um, in Japan, so it's part of my uh, upbringing has been in Japan and uh, my background, my parents are Japanese, I'm Australian born, but anyway, I've got a Japanese background. And um, what there's a word in Japanese that says, uh, it's the word is called otonashi, which is often what I got told. And it means mild and meek and quiet and reserved and all of those sort of things. But it actually means when you translate it literally, it means adult-like. So it means mature in some way. So in a way, I got told that and I never thought of it as being that bad. So so I never really thought of it as being necessarily a bad thing. I grew up that way through school and and all of that. Um, And the other thing is when I was growing up at school, in um, I, I moved around a lot as a kid through school. I went to eight different schools and I... Um, I think I uh, between Australia, Japan and Canada, three different cities in Australia as well. So lots of different schools. And my way of coping with that was to just stay invisible and just blend in and as much as I can. Because what I found is that, you know, if you're in Australia, I, I look a bit different, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, stood out a bit, there weren't many Asian kids around. So I just did my very best to blend in as much as possible, which meant I was a bit quieter. The other thing is when I went back to Japan, interestingly, I may have looked the same, but 
some of the things that I did that I learned in Australia was a real no-no in Japan, like just sitting down cross-legged. That's a big no-no for girls in Japan. <laughs> so, so things like that I got told and, you know, people, some people picked on me and so I thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to blend in and try and do what everybody else is doing. So that all of that combined and, and as you probably know, um, Japanese culture is very much a conformist culture. You know, you're supposed to look the same and at school you have to wear the same uniform and same haircut and all of these things. So all of that combined meant that I, I was very skilled at adapting to fit in. And so that also meant that I stayed quiet. So that was my personal story. And so when I went into the workplace and people told me to speak up more and all of these things, it was like, hang on, <laughs> that's a bit different to my my upbringing and my experience. So that's my personal side. Incredible. And it, so it sounds like it's this blend of, I guess, what you would refer to as conditioning, you know, growing up as the youngest child, as you said, having an, an outspoken parent um, or, or a parent that um, was speaking sort of on your behalf, as well as that um, cultural dimension of the more collectivist orientated sort of culture really imbuing into you from a young age then. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, because I did grow up in Australia as well, yeah, so in, in a way I had a slightly different take on it as well compared to some of my friends who lived in Japan for their whole lives. So there was a little spark that said there's something different that's possible here. Um, so, yeah, so that's the personal side. But the professional side is um, I've been working in the leadership and organisational development field for a good 20-odd years and being in that field, looking at different cultures and looking at different leaders, I noticed the the skew or bias towards the louder, the dominating, the the people who took charge in quotation marks and uh, that almost like, you know, the leaders know better kind of um, belief and the damage that sometimes that can do while as also noticing a few of the leaders that I worked for who were a little quieter and they were a bit more empowering and allowing and much more supportive of, Um, supporting our voice as the team members I really enjoyed working for them and I thought well there's something a bit not quite right here in this whole idea of leadership and and while a lot of these things have been written like you know good to great talks about humble leadership and things like that I just felt there's still a little underlying unconscious belief if you like about what good leadership looks like and I really wanted to shake that up in some way. Mm, Agreed. Yeah, and was there, you sort of spoke about some of the leaders that you've worked with, you saw their their different approach, their perhaps more quiet approach. Were there particular moments or sort of or people in particular that stood out to you as being inspiring or, you know, creating again that spark moment of things oh, can be yeah. different? There's a couple of leaders that come to mind. Um, I worked at uh, Anderson Consulting, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's now called Accenture, which is a huge global consulting firm, but it used to be called Anderson Consulting. There are a couple of leaders that I work there on projects. One was uh, a woman who was the team leader of a project team, and she just left me to run things. And you know, she was there. She was. She always said, "If you need help, just call out." But she just left me to run things and. She'd listen to me if I was having trouble and ask a few questions and and then I'd, you know, we'd sort of solve the problem and move forward. And I found that was very empowering. And even though as a young consultant, sometimes I really didn't know what I was doing, I felt like I was given the trust 
And so I felt like I, I worked really hard as a result because I'd wanted to live up to her expectations. So that was very powerful. And the manager above that, who was a, a man, he was um, he was similar. And so these two had a huge impact on me just observing how they led the team and how uh, how the team performed so well in the end. So we each of the teams ended up working with the clients remarkably well. So it was a combined client consultant team. And in a way, we kind of took on a similar approach with the clients where we empowered the clients to do a lot of the thinking and work with us rather than often in consulting what I see is consultants know better and they go in and tell people what to do and it's really quite offensive (laughs) because clients know their businesses so I really enjoyed that approach and so I found that that way of consulting and as well as leading was uh, really powerful and so that was quite a long time ago but I reflect on that quite a bit and say well that was a really good time in terms of watching different ways of leading and that male leader that I talked about the person who was um, managing the whole client engagement um, he's one of my quietly powerful leader interviewees for the book. And uh, so I went back to him and said, can I interview you? <laughs> yeah, and he's been great. Wow. So stepping into that a little bit deeper, Megumi, can you talk us through what the, the anatomy of a, of a quietly powerful leader is? What does it look like? Um, I, I was um, I was reading that question. I'm wondering whether what you meant by anatomy, like what, what is there a particular thing you're looking for? I guess the kind of, I guess the, the structure that you would say or the, the approach that a quietly powerful leader might have, what are the sort of um, the hallmarks perhaps of their approach mm-hmm. um, that would help you recognise someone as a quietly powerful leader? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think some of the hallmarks would be that they're not always a cent- in the centre of attention. They're not always the one that's talking all the time, um, which is the, the quiet aspect of it. But alongside that, that because of because they don't take up the space, if you like, they allow space for others to 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 step in and step up. And um, what that does is it builds trust because they listen, uh, but also they create space for people to speak, and therefore they've got more to listen to. Um, so so that will be sort of at the behavioural level. But to me, what is different is that they. Uh, they listen, but they listen from a place of humility and curiosity, as opposed to, you know, how sometimes people listen in order to rebut or argue back or respond. So, I, yeah, you don't feel that with these leaders. And I found that with the people I interviewed for the book, um, I found it really easy to speak with them. And, you know, I was the interviewer, uh, but I still also felt listened to in a way, which is a strange thing to say as an interviewer, but it just felt like that. And so it's creating that space, having that humility. They're curious because they know that they don't know everything. And so, yeah, they create that space. So, yeah, it's it's like an understated uh, kind of presence, but they are very present at the same time. Mm. So they don't take up the space, but you know that they're there. Mm, That's... And it's interesting, Megumi, because when I first came across your work and and came across your book, Quietly Powerful, 
it struck me that we might be talking about giving strength to um, introverted leaders and how to how you know introverted leaders might find a way to raise their voice. But what I'm hearing here is that it's more of these sort of um, practice trait like ways of being, you know, and and mindsets mm-hmm. almost like approaching things yeah. with curiosity and humility, yes. which aren't necessarily innate traits. There are things that we can mm-hmm. learn to be. So, Absolutely. and I guess it goes really lovely into our next question then is you know what exactly do organizations stand to lose when Mm. quietly powerful leaders aren't able to step into their power in our workplaces Mm. Mm -hmm. so i think when quietly powerful leaders or potential quietly powerful leaders are overlooked you miss out on this amazing leadership that is very inclusive because that's the result that you get when you have leaders who create space for others So you miss out on inclusion, which is so important these days. You miss out on leaders who empower their teams, like I was sharing about the the two leaders that I was talking about. Um, And as a result, the performance suffers because if I think about, you know, thinking about some of the projects I've done in consulting or even post-consulting days, Comparing my time with these two leaders I spoke about versus another leader who was quite dominating and telling me what to do and things like that, I reckon the effort I put in was remarkably different firstly, but I think the result that we got together was hugely different in terms of the outcome we achieved with the clients and the team and and things like that. Um, I still remember that particular client project. The clients were so happy. We did this whole celebration and it was just a a really fantastic project that we were in. Mm. So I think, yeah, the organisations really miss out on that inclusion, engagement, empowerment um, and and things like that. And, And also, I guess, if you're not listening to some of the quieter voices, you're missing out on the different perspectives. And, and I think often that's talked about because quieter people often will be thinking about things, listening to things and observing things that people who are talking all the time might miss. So so there's something different to bring in there. It also sounds like there's potential sort of real collaboration that can be missed um, when we're not sort of tapping into that that mindset because of that beautiful way that um, quietly powerful leaders can hold space and create that sense of inclusivity. And it sounds like your experience was a really beautiful example of that, where it became something where people felt very involved, um, very valued, and, and that creates such a beautiful sort of almost uh, less hierarchical collaborative approach than mm. one might have traditionally mm. seen in a consultancy environment. Mm. Mm. Was that yeah, was that your experience? That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I really still, I still keep in touch with a number of the the people on that team. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, I'm curious, and this is a bit of a personal note, um, as a, as a former finance lawyer, I remember really clearly as a lawyer being told a few times to, to fake it until I make it in the work environment. So to really sort of, um, for me, it felt like sort of stepping into behaviours that didn't feel very natural to me but felt necessary to be mm-hmm. successful in that in that quite cutthroat environment. Mm-hmm. And we hear it a lot and it's often something that I think is sort of um, told to younger people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have your confidence yet. So just 
fake it till you make it and overcome your fear um, mm, and potentially mm. imposter syndrome in that way. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that that concept? Mm-hmm. Well, now that I've uh, lived a few more years and when I first got told some of that, <laughs> I would say absolutely not helpful. <laughs> and um, the the experience I had earlier on in my career, particularly as I was starting in um, leadership and culture, because my my original background wasn't that. I was in economics, finance and strategy, so very different areas. And I jumped into culture and leadership. I started, I had to learn facilitation skills, public speaking skills, all of these things. So they were, they were new to me. And um, what I found when I was doing all this training, and, and I had just incredible training from um, teachers who were very different to the usual. It wasn't just technique. It was absolutely about who you are and who you showed up as. So it was really quite challenging and stretching. Uh, but I remember one time uh, we were, we were tra- uh, training as a group and there were other people in the team who were much more gregarious and entertaining and extroverted. And so I was thinking, oh, I need to, I need to bring that energy. You know? <laughs> and so I stood up and I tried to be much more energetic, use my hands and, and all of these things. And, um, and the teacher told me, you're like a happy hammer. You're just making that up. You're faking it. <laughs> And and she said, that's not going to work for you because you could really tell, you can feel that you're, you're putting it on. So, so since then, I've just been thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? And I, I couldn't quite work it out because I did need to bring energy, but I had to over time work out how I bring my energy, which was actually more about presence. So it wasn't about the external, you know, gregariousness. It was actually about my presence and however I showed up with that presence. So so that was a really great learning. Um, But also what I say to people around faking till you make it is about distinguishing faking versus growing. So there will be times where you need to grow in order to develop some skills. And it's it's going to be uncomfortable, of course. And there's nothing wrong with that to go through that discomfort because you're growing as long as you're developing skills or experiences that are uncomfortable, going through the experiences that are uncomfortable for a purpose. So as long as it's meaningful and purposeful to you, then that's okay because you'll pursue that. So I went through a lot of uncomfortable training, but I knew I really wanted to be a good facilitator, so that's okay. Um, On the other hand, faking it is when people tell you this is what you should do and you're not quite sure and you you don't really have a compelling reason and you have to put it on. Mm. So to me there's a difference there. Yeah, and it it sounds like a very important distinction to make there, Megumi, and it's an interesting one because I think we often think of this word charisma as being associated with leadership. And I think when we dive into the language of these words a little bit more, we actually find it's quite powerful to understand what makes up things like charisma because there's been research done um, by a woman named Vanessa Van Edwards around what actually makes 
charisma. And she talks about charisma as having two core components, and that is competence and reliability. So when you talk about this idea of faking it till you make it and, okay. you know, being someone who's naturally perhaps quieter um, or naturally, um, you know, not extroverted and waving your hands around when you speak and things like that, I think people will, um, people can detect that inauthenticity in that moment because mm. it, it, it isn't naturally you. Mm. And so I think sometimes I, I know when I first came across that research, this idea of understanding charisma is a is the, the um, you know, the coupling of competence and reliability I thought wow so actually everyone has the capacity to be charismatic it's just bringing those things together in the right formula that actually feels natural to you and everything you've said really you know for me really reinforces Mm. that idea Mm, mm, mm. yeah absolutely that's really interesting and I think also for me what what stands out is that sense of sort of um being able to tune into the type of growth, the type of discomfort that we were experiencing. Like you said, what's the meaning behind this? Why am I doing this? Mm. And um, I, I fully mm. agree. I think, you know, growth by by definition uh, is, is uncomfortable. Um, but being able to identify whether mm. we're growing in a way that does have that sort of authenticity and therefore the discomfort is is okay or whether it's coming from, mm. you know, another motivator, an external motivator that maybe someone's telling us we should be different. And I certainly mm. relate to what you said as well. When I was younger, I was very susceptible to that. And it's been a really, mm. you know, it's been a, beautiful, a great process to see that um, as I know myself better, I'm better able to identify mm. when the growth feels authentic or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why it's really challenging for quieter professionals when they get told things like oh you need to go and do assertiveness training or presentation training and and there's a formula it doesn't work for them and and a number of people who've come to my programs or coaching who said oh you know I've been to some of those and it was really difficult uh, is because of that because it wasn't something that they saw meaning and purpose for so it wasn't coming from their their want desire as opposed to you know somebody else telling them they they need to do it Mm, and you know just moving through that as well Mugumi because you're obviously a quietly powerful leader yourself so how do you find that authenticity and that alignment you know in how you lead others that feels right and natural for you Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting as I was interviewing the quietly powerful leaders I came across or not came across I I started to notice a few patterns of what I noticed in these leaders and I named them the three attributes of the quietly powerful leaders and I think that's what keeps me authentic. And so the three are firstly that you just need um, just getting comfortable in your own skin, so not feeling like you're you're good or bad, you're just, you're just a person and uh, you have strengths and weaknesses and you have things that you like and don't like and, you know, have the whole lot. So you're whole rather than thinking you've got strengths and you should just focus on that, which I know there's some quarters where you talk about strengths-based training or coaching and things like that. I, I think that's partially useful, but it's partial because when you start to go, okay, well, weaknesses are no good, you should ignore them, well, it's still there. So what do you do with it? And, you know, you feel bad about it. So that's not helpful. So I guess to get to that place of being okay with, um, you know, you've got strengths and weaknesses and, and of course, you can work on some of the weaknesses if it's useful to do so. Um, and so just getting comfortable with that. So that's what, that's the first attribute. The second attribute, which I've already touched on, is about presence. 
And I do find that the more comfortable you become with yourself, the more present you can be with people because you're not as self-conscious and worrying about how am I coming across or how, um, you know, what's the right thing to say or am I coming across as competent and, you know, those little worries in the head. Um, As you get more comfortable, you're not as worried and therefore you can be much more present to each moment and what's going on and being able to uh, be of service, which goes into the third attribute, which is about being purposeful. And again, we've already talked a bit about this purposefulness, whether it's about growth or whether it's about in any interaction or the work you do. If if you have that sense of purpose that's bigger than yourself, then I do think that you feel like you're doing something that's pulling you rather than you've been pushed into doing something. And that makes a huge difference in terms of being authentic, even when you're feeling uncomfortable. Um, And I found that the quietly powerful leaders, and quite a number of them said, oh, I never thought of myself as a leader and I didn't really get into it until somebody tapped me on the shoulder. And they said the only reason why they stepped into leadership is not because they wanted power or control or attention. It was because they felt they could contribute to something bigger. And so that's a very strong pull as opposed to, you know, it's more the ego wanting the attention or control or whatever. And I think that's such a powerful way to lead that we need more in the world. And so for for me personally, I want to see more of those leaders to shine. <laughs> so that's my purpose, uh, wanting to encourage people who may be a little quiet or maybe felt disempowered in the past when they can find that purpose to really step in with that. Um, so, yeah, so there's, I don't know where they've come across this idea called free trait theory. Um, so it's um, Professor Brian Little who talks about free trait theory where if you do feel that passion or sense of purpose, you can really, it's quite possible for people to behave out of character. Mm. So if you're a lecturer, for example, and you're quite, you know, shy and quiet, if you're passionate about a topic, you can completely be very animated and and so on. So, yeah, so I find that too where, you know, I don't particularly like being the centre of attention, but I will for for a purpose. And imagine if we had leaders who were in positions because of that passion and because of that purpose yeah. rather than the need to seek title or the need yeah. to dominate or the need to have power. Absolutely. Just, imagine how different the world would look if that Absolutely. was the reason everyone went into leadership. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's certainly um, an aspiration and uh, if I can play a small part, then I'll be very happy. <laughs> I hear that. I hear yeah, that. Definitely. That definitely aligns with uh, with human leaders I'm as sure. Well. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. So, Megumi, for those of us who are perhaps not so quiet a type, so we want to really tap into that beautifully inclusive approach that you spoke to uh, earlier how can we, you know, what are the key ways that we can use or, or tools that we can use to start to cultivate the skills that a quietly powerful leader has? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's a nice way to ask that question because something that often uh, people who are not so quiet would say is how do we support these quieter people? <laughs> and I say to them, don't try and support them, learn from them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Because there are things that they do that's actually much more beneficial as a leader than uh, perhaps some of the people who are, um, you know, it's not to say everything is, but so, uh, but there are some things that the quieter mm-hmm. professional does that is useful. Um, so so that, that will be one to really notice what they do in terms of how they listen, what they listen to, um, how they think about things, how they synthesise different ideas, notice that more, notice that talent um, so, so you can learn from them but also notice that talent and really highlight that rather than saying, oh, they're quiet, you know, they're not leadership material, which is what often happens. Mm. So, so that will be one. That way you can really start to not only recognise those people and their talents, but also it gives them more confidence to say, okay, I'm, I'm okay with this style and I can bring my best version rather than um, feeling like they're, they're not good enough because they're quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you see that they've got really great potential in their own style, then, of course, promote them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, look past the, the initial um, uh, style or initial impression you might have um, you know, maybe they come across as maybe may not out- outwardly confident, but, you know, they've got a lot of substance. So why not tap into that? So that would be one. Mm. The other thing is, it's related, but the other thing is to not make assumptions. So something I've noticed people do sometimes is when somebody's quiet, they make assumptions like, oh, they won't be very good at public speaking, for example. I I personally fell into that bias where I was working with somebody who's quite quiet as a colleague and we were about to do a um, like a huge 100-person event and we were going to co-facilitate and um, it's really silly but I because I've done facilitation even though I'm quiet I was feeling quite comfortable with that but I was a bit worried about this guy because he was quite nervous and you know quite quiet and things like that and um, he got on stage and he was amazing (laughs) I was blown away and I'm going oh my god I'm making assumptions that I'm telling people other people not to to make mm. and I know I get upset when people make that assumption about me and I did it myself so it's like you know catch those assumptions and go hang on that's not always true mm. so that that's an example public speaking but there's many many other assumptions that people might make whether it be you know people who are quieter in the meetings and they, they assume that they don't have anything to say or that they're, they're not really you know, capable or, you know, lots of different things can, can be assumptions. But actually, if you gave them the time, the space, or even chat to them afterwards, you find that, that they've got so much depth and, mm. uh, and you miss out on that. Mm. And, you know, what's so interesting, Megumi, when I was hearing you speak then, as you said, you know, even yourself has fallen into the trap of this. And I mm. think what, what we often, um, you know, need to realise is that we are very geared to make judgments it's actually what our brain's best at doing we are very geared to get quite stuck in our mental sets of what we think something means and if someone's quiet it means they'll be you know bad at this and Mm. better at this or Mm. they're probably more cerebral and less social Mm. and all of Mm. these sorts of uh, stories that we make up Mm. but I what I really loved um, hearing you say was that it's it's not about necessarily whether or not your brain will make that judgment. It's mm. about taking the opportunity to challenge that judgment and yeah. say, actually, is that the right story, or yeah. am I am I missing something here? And and yes. opening the space to challenge that. Yes, absolutely. And um, 
and really look for evidence, um, disconfirming yeah. evidence. And mm, I'm glad because I never, so the good thing about my assumption making about this colleague that I was working with is I thought it, but I didn't really say anything or stop mm-hmm. him from doing anything. Mm. I'm so glad because he was absolutely amazing. Mm. And, you know, how often must we as leaders think, oh, well, this person's not really demonstrating what we believe to be capacity Mm. to be in that sense, so we'll take them off that project and we won't give Mm. them a speaking opportunity or we'll um, reassign them to this particular role Mm. that's maybe less client-facing or whatever Mm. the opportunity might be. And Mm. how many beautiful opportunities must we be missing? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, when, you know, you talk about client-facing opportunities, um, some of the quietly powerful leaders I interviewed were um, partners at law firms. Mm-hmm. And one of them I remember saying she noticed that the clients really liked talking to her, being the quieter one, than mm. a louder partner because she listened. Mm, <laughs> so she was absolutely. actually better at the quiet client relationships. And the, the less quiet um, partner actually acknowledged that in front of a whole group saying, I've noticed that she clients like to talk to her. Wow. Mm, it was really and powerful I would, when I heard that. I'd really, I'd also imagine that the team that she was working with would probably, you know, feel a lot safer in a lot of ways working with someone who is a better listener mm-hmm. and who creates that mm-hmm. space uh, for different mm-hmm. um, different kinds of approaches as opposed to the mm-hmm. sort of domineering, uh, the classic sort of mm-hmm. um, law firm partner that, that might be the norm in most mm-hmm. places. Oh, I was just going to say I'll raise my hand there because I know that I am certainly naturally falling into the not-so-quiet leadership type. And, you know, we <laughs> um, it's not always intentional, but it's the impact mm. you have. And I think that's the moment where you have to realize that even though your intention might be good, often if the impact isn't what you want, mm. that's an opportunity to learn from some of those quietly powerful leaders and what yeah. they're doing and shift your behavior to, to find yourself yes. there as well. Yes, absolutely. And I know quite, uh, not-so-quiet leaders who are who have learned and and um you know accommodated and and done all of these things so it's not like you can't Mm -hmm. so um that's why I don't think it's this is about introversion extroversion it's about a skill or a a mindset that can actually bring something different in the whole idea of leadership um what I was going to say before is um I just wrote an article posted an article about no more uh bulldozers no more I'm sure you having been through the um, election campaign, this whole idea of the bulldozer um, was that uh, came up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, I do think, or I do hope that the new government creates a different kind of tone because it's necessary now that they've got quite diverse voices in the, the parliament to really listen and work with. Yes. that diversity and otherwise you miss the opportunity of bringing in these voices imagine I was really worried if there was still this bulldozer approach and brought all these amazing views in that's just mm. going to get nowhere so Absolutely. yeah so that would be so that would be another example I think for the benefit of that creating space and and also the safety enormous opportunities mm. I think at the moment in this in that context for mm. sure mm. yeah Yeah. And now, Megumi, we would love to know, and I guess, um, you know, this will be our last question, bringing our podcast sort of to an end here for the listener. Mm. And, you know, what's the leadership advice that you would give yourself way back at the outset of your career, Mm. um, knowing what you know now and why? Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I thought about that question. And um, if I look back at my career, I wouldn't do it differently. So mm-hmm. I'm actually, I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in light of that, you know, there were some challenges and there were some jobs that I really didn't like and everything else, but that led me to something else. So so in a way, um, I guess the first thing is not to get too hung up on where you go and where you end up because sometimes I hear younger people going, well, what's the right job and what's the right career and stressing out about that. And um, so, so less worry and also be open to just experiencing different things and that will help you to work out where you want to put your energy Um, Mm. if you just narrow too early unless you already know and you you know where to go that's you know some people are like that and that's okay but if you're not sure just try and experience a range of things so then eventually you go oh I don't like that I really like that and and that that way you can really hone in on the things that you like to do and Mm. you feel that sense of purpose um, so I was very lucky that I got to experiment for a little while and I stumbled across leadership and culture and I thought, wow, this is it, That's this is what, where I want to be and, and that I put in my energy from there. Um, yeah, so that's probably one, one main thing I would say for younger people. Yeah, and I, that's, I think it's so valuable, Megumi, because as you've mentioned, um, you know, something that can bring quietly powerful leaders really to the fore is that idea of having or working in what they feel passionate about and what they feel purpose in. And so I think, as you've said, trying things until you you find what lights you up is Mm. really, really important. And I know looking back at my career, um, I entered university at 17. I had no idea where Mm. I was going to end up. And Mm. so my advice would be really similar. Just try Mm. stuff, try Mm. anything. Yeah, and and try stuff um, not only in your work but outside of work mm-hmm. as well. Because yeah. I remember one of the earlier things that ended up, uh, which helped me to go into the the work that I do now, was um, I went to a. This was part of like a culture change program. It was quite a personal development oriented program. And uh, I remember at the end of it sitting there going, I have no idea what I'm passionate about because I've completely lost touch with myself. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to get out of that was to really think, well, what do I enjoy doing? And it was like painting and drawing, nothing to do with career. But I started playing around and eventually I started to get better at noticing what lights me up, what doesn't. Incredible. So it's almost like a step behind (laughs) before even thinking about career-wise what what is really enjoyable what's what lights me up so yeah I think that's such an important yeah I think that's such an important point as well and it's one that's not always addressed in our education systems I certainly came Mm. away from school and university knowing ostensibly a lot about you know things but not really knowing myself very well and not being aware of those sort of the variety mm. of different skills and passions that I had. So I think those mm. are mm. really valuable questions for people to take away and, and reflect on that. It's not just mm. what are you passionate about in a work environment, but what are you passionate about? Mm. 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 And translating that into work, not necessarily like if I enjoyed painting that I have to be a painter, but there's, there's different aspects to that about creativity, making making something up from nothing mm-hmm. is something yeah. that I enjoy. So that's mm. what I do right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and tuning in also, I can imagine there's also a level of sort of tuning into the present again that is in, in, in painting and being very mm. present to what you're creating and and very in the moment. And I think mm-hmm. that, as you spoke to earlier, is such a wonderful capacity for leaders to be developing that sense of, of presence and attunement. Mm. 
Well, thank you so much for your yeah, time, for Megumi. Sure. It's been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you. I've really gotten so much out of it, and I, I have so many people I want to share this conversation with already. So thank you so much. I'm really grateful for your time. Oh, thank you so much to both of you. That was really enjoyable. We hope you enjoyed what was for us a very powerful and delightful conversation with Megumi Mickey. You can find her details and links to her book, her website and more in our show notes. And feel welcome to join us at www.wearehumanleaders.com. Thank you for being part of this conversation with us. and We'll see you again soon.